This is Mark 8, 22, 26. <clears throat> and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Evening all. Good to see you. Hello. I want to talk about healing. What a surprise after that reading. And I want to talk about how we can be equipped, how we can be skilled up so that people, so that we become people that whom through Jesus can live and work and overflow. So that we can proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, not just with our words. Words are really important, aren't they? But, you know, Jesus didn't proclaim the gospel just with words. He proclaimed it with words and with works and with wonders. He proclaimed the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to take a moment to pray, and then we're going to get into this passage, and we'll go from there. Lord, I do not come, you know this, but I do not come with wise and persuasive words, but I pray I come with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Would you do, Lord, what only you can do? Would you make known your good news, not through words alone, but through what you do in our minds, in our spirits, in our emotions, in our bodies? That we would so encounter you that we would never, ever be the same again. And we ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself, just for a moment. Let me just indulge myself. Um, you need to know one or two things about me. One is that um, I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We've been married for many years. She's been a nurse for about 35 years. She nurses children who are very sick or even dying. So I want you to know that because it might trigger something. And I want you to know that because... When I speak about healing, I do so from a place of being really earthed. I want to be real. I want to be honest. I want to tell you that, do you know what? I've been a Christian for 41 years, longer than some of you have been on planet Earth, and I've still got more questions than I've got answers. Is that okay? I still struggle between faith and doubt. I still struggle between what I've seen God do and which has been medically verified and Doubting the very next minute that God could do anything. Because I'm human. And I'm like a walking civil war. Anyone else like that? A walking civil war. I believe and I don't believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is the reality for me of walking in faith. That we walk in the mystery, the cross-shaped mystery of Lord, we see, I see what you're doing, and it's wonderful. It's just what I would expect a good God to do. And the moment when God doesn't seem to do what I think, what I think a good God should do. Does that make sense? Am I allowed to be honest? Am I allowed to be real? 
Because we've got to be, haven't we? Because that's the place where we live in reality. So when I talk about healing, I'm going to tell you something. I have seen God do hundreds of healings. I have seen some of them medically verified. I have seen hundreds of healings because I have prayed over the last 41 years nearly for everything that moves. <laughs> My dog is the most prayed for dog on planet Earth, I promise you. I pray for anything that moves. So I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed because I've prayed for thousands and thousands and thousands. I have had my heart broken. I have had my wife come home from work and she's been nursing a child for years and that day the child is, has died and she's wept around our dining room table and Lord, we just don't get it and it's just not fair. And yes, we claim your promises, but frankly, Lord, we're not impressed. We're angry. When Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus, he gave a guttural roar of anguish because this is not how it is meant to be. Yet he understood in a way that I can't understand, I don't understand, but I do know this much. I am not going to live under my experience. I'm going to live under the promises of the living God. The God who says, if anyone has faith in me, they'll do what I've been doing. Indeed, they will do even greater things in these. The God who says, I believe in you more than you believe in me. The God who says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who's just as good, just as loving, just as powerful, just as real, just as tangible, just as able as he has ever been. He's not become less loving, less powerful, less willing. He's not abandoned planet Earth to President Putin or Trump or someone. He's the God who is Lord and sovereign and good and glorious and lovely and wonderful and magnificent. He is love. And love never walks away. So I know he's present, don't you? And he's amongst us. And he's looking for people who will go, okay, my heart's been broken. I've been disappointed. I don't understand. It's all a bit of a mystery. But I will dare to believe the promises of God. That's what we're going to do. Is that okay? Let me tell you a story. To, you probably think by now, oh my goodness, does the preacher believe? I do, honestly. I passionately believe in Jesus, but I also know my given experience. As I say, I became a Christian 41 years ago when I was a paramedic. And so I was seeing all around me suffering and brokenness and death. Maybe I was just a particularly bad paramedic, but, you know... <laughs> When I got to someone and they were dead, they tended to stay dead. And even though we had the, you know, the defib or whatever it might be. And then I looked out of the ambulance station one day and uh, I wasn't a Christian. And I saw a sign over the road on the church in the center of Bristol, where I'm from, if you're wondering where the strange accent's from. And it said, Jesus is alive. And I said to myself, they should never, ever be allowed to say that. That's outrageous. When you're dead, you're dead. And the Holy Spirit I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. It was just like a voice. I was like, what was that? A voice said almost audibly, it wasn't audible, go and find out. So I remember saying to my then girlfriend, hard to imagine, an old man, but I was young once, with long hair, that tall. Very. 
I said to my then girlfriend, she said, what are we going to do tonight? I said, she said, we're going to go clubbing, we're going to go in the pub, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to go to church. She looked at me like, you're joking, aren't you? And we got to these big doors of this church from Philip and St. James in the center of Bristol. And it was like, I was terrified to go in. I'd never been in a church. It's like, what happens in there? You know, they'll burn me or something. So I was very polite, and I said to my then girlfriend, ladies first. And she went in. I said, I'll be in in about five minutes if you're still not out. I followed her in, and the, the, the vicar came in. He had an L plate, you know, when you're learning to drive. had an L plate on his back. And I thought, that's weird. Didn't expect that. He was in normal clothing, L plate on, stuck on his back. He got to the front. He said, my name's Malcolm. I'm the vicar. And he said, uh, we're all learners here. And I thought, I like that. This is a place I can find out. This is a place where I can ask questions. This is a place that's real about the real questions of life. And 41 years on, I'm still learning. I promise you, every day I learn something new about how wonderful our God is and how much I don't know. But let me tell you a story that is, is uh, I'll tell you a story, first of all, from England, because often if I tell a story from my travels with new wine around the world, people say, yeah, that happens in India, doesn't it? That happens in Africa. So let's start with one in London, shall we? I was reminded when I came in here of a service we began um, in about 1995. I've been ordained as a vicar now for 33 years. Um, it's about 1994, 1995. I'm in the middle of a talk when we started a new evening service. And uh, in the middle of my talk, the Holy Spirit whispered in the back of my mind, shut up. You might be praying for that in a few minutes' time, but shut up. I That's not very polite, Lord. You know, let me get on. I've got three pages to go. And the Lord said, I want to show them. I don't want them just to hear. I want them to see. Don't tell them that God does amazing things. Show them. So I carried on doing my talk, but in the back of my head, there's a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to heal a heart valve. And I looked out at a young congregation very much like this, which is what reminds me of the story. Young people, mostly. And I said, the Lord, you know, they're all fit and young and healthy. And he said, heart valve. I said, Lord, what about broken heart? There'll be a broken heart out there. <laughs> there'll, there'll be a divided heart. There'll be a heavy heart, a sad heart. There'll be some kind of heart condition, but not heart valve. That's either right or wrong. And he said, heart valve. So eventually I stopped my talk and I said, someone here that the Lord wants to heal with a heart valve condition. And over to my left, uh, a young woman put her hand up. She said, that's me, but I don't believe in this stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. I said, can we pray for you? She said, oh, if you want to. So I said, could you come up the front? We she came up the front. Her name's Claire Cummings. She was a physiotherapist at the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead. I said, so what's the thing, Claire? She said, well, since I was born 25 years ago, I've had a heart valve condition. It means... When I'm walking along the street, I'm breathless. It's getting worse most uh, recently. And uh, yeah, so that's me. And if you'd said heart condition or broken heart or sad heart or heavy heart, I wouldn't have got up. But 
you said heart valve, so I don't believe in this stuff, but I thought, well, that is me. Isn't God good? Isn't it good to know that God knows each of us intimately? He's involved, interested, committed, compassionate, ready to act. Love is always ready to act. So as we prayed, guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. She just stood there like this, like, I don't believe in this stuff. She sat back down. I finished my talk. I went home. I walked around the park. Like vicars do after Sunday services sometimes, thinking, Lord, what was that about? Five days later, I was leading a Bible study at a mental health drop-in center. And there was a knock on the door, and it was Claire. She said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, when I finish. When I finish, she said, Mark, I've got to tell you, since you prayed for me, I am so in love with Jesus. It's amazing. And I said, well, Claire, that's, that's amazing, but... How's your heart? She said, well, I don't know, but I'm not out of breath anymore. I said, how many years of sort of records are there about your heart condition? She said, 25 years. I'm 25 years of age. They checked me out. I said, well, go back. Find out what the doctors say because I want the real deal. Don't you? I don't want, when I speak at a conference or something, you know, people just to wave their hands and say, God's healed me because that's great, but I want to know what really, really happened. I do not want exaggeration. God does not need my PR to make him look good. I, hype and exaggeration will help nothing. My heart's been broken so many times because he didn't do what I thought he should do. But she went back and she got it all tested out and they said, we don't understand. This is what the doctor said. We don't understand how this can be, but your 25-year-old heart valve condition is completely healed 100%. In celebration, Claire, who was breathless walking along the road, went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Celebrating what the God who lives in you had done through someone as simple and ordinary and foolish as me. And my message today really is, do you know what Jesus says? If anyone has faith in me, they will do what I've been doing. And I'm just so grateful that I count as an anyone. And so do you. I'm not looking at ordinary people. I am looking at people, if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. I mean looking at people who every benefit of the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood shed for you and his resurrection for you. I'm looking at those people who live in the reality of the risen Christ who lives in them. At Holy Trinity Sydenham this morning, we were thinking about that passage of John 14 where he says, I come and I make my home within you. I'm not looking at ordinary people. I'm looking at a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is you, which is us individually and it's us together. I'm not looking at mere mortals. I'm looking at people that when God is finished with you, you will be so like Christ that I would be tempted to bow down and worship you. So great will be the masterpiece that God is doing in you. If you don't believe me, believe Romans 8, 29. 
you will be conformed to the very likeness of Jesus. I won't be able to tell the difference between Ben and Jesus, hardly. That's a miracle. But I won't worship him. I won't worship him. I'm really hoping that's not mine. <laughs> God has done something in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ that means every benefit of his life in us can be manifest in us, through us, and frankly, despite us. The first blind eye I saw open was in Siberia, Russia. In the depths of Siberia where the gospel had never, ever been preached as far as we know. And we prayed for an elderly lady and the Lord healed her. I need to tell you something about this story. At that time, I was living a double life. I was already ordained in the Church of England, but in a time of stress, I had returned to one of my old comforts, which is alcohol. And in the day, I would be sober. At home, this was. And at night, I would be absolutely off my head. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you the truth. And God, you might think, I thought in those days, well, God could never use me because I'm a secret drunk. And I'm not suggesting it doesn't matter if you sin because it absolutely does. I'm just saying that God who has called us is faithful. I'm just saying to you that his gift and calling are irrevocable. Romans 11. I'm just saying to you that the Holy Spirit doesn't push off when you mess up. And I thought, only if I was really, really holy would God ever work through me. And in that time of double living... We prayed for an elderly lady, blind, and the Lord healed her. Blew my theology. It doesn't mean I now think, oh great, I can sin. It means now I think, oh my goodness, isn't God gracious? Isn't God faithful? Isn't God kind? And if that offends you, well, I don't mind offending you with grace. Grace is offensive. God doesn't count. God doesn't say, oh, you prayed well enough this week. I could use you this week. It's easier for him to use us because we're more attuned, as Ben was saying. When we come into that place of worship and we align ourselves with him, we hear better. But it doesn't stop us. Blew my mind. When we were in Kenya, I was speaking about this God who heals, and they came at the end of the meeting, and the vicar came with a seven-year-old boy called Derek, and he was blind. He'd been brought to the Mother's Union uh, Saturday school, but he was blind. He couldn't see. And she said that they said, this little boy, we, he's blind, and we've heard your talk that God heals, and he heals through us, and that we're not ordinary human beings, so would you pray for him? And my, my faith was in utter conflict. I believed and I didn't believe. Lord, I believed how my unbelief. But I had a team there and I had a group of people looking at me and I, so I said to the blind boy, what can, you, what can you see? It's a stupid question to ask a blind person. He said, nothing. So we prayed and nothing happened. And we drew a picture on a bit of paper and we prayed again, and, and guess what? Nothing happened. 
And then we prayed a third time, and he said, maybe I can see something. And I thought, thank you. That will do. Because in my brokenness, in my weakness, in my foolishness, I was more concerned about how I looked. As the expectant faces gazed upon me, is his words and his life going to match up here? And it was lunchtime. I said, let's go and get some lunch. And thank God that he can see a little bit. And then one of my teams said, nothing really happened, did it? Let's pray again. And we went back and we prayed for little seven-year-old Derek who was blind. And as surely as I stand here, and I don't understand how other than by the grace and the goodness and the faithfulness of God, the God who lives in you by his Holy Spirit opened the blind eyes completely of Derek. And the next day in church, there were men on one side and women on the other. No children in church. We were worshiping, sat in the front row. I looked up to an opening. It wasn't glass. It was just an opening in the wall. And a little seven-year-old face came through. And he wanted to be with the people who introduced him to the reality of the living God, whose name is Jesus Christ. And he came and he sat on the front row and he worshipped with us. And afterwards, under a blazing hot Kenyan sun, we played football. Have you ever played football with a boy who was blind the day before? It was absolutely incredible. And I could tell you other stories of tumors and blind eyes medically verified where the doctors have said this person was healed. And yet... And yet, the struggle goes on. And I wonder why that is. It says in this passage that they came to Bethsaida. Verse 22. So what do we know about Bethsaida? Well, one of the things we know is that Jesus says in Luke 10 and verse 13, these words, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, another very evil place from the Old Testament, they, in Tyre and Sidon, would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon was infamous for its wickedness. Prophets had declared God's judgment on them centuries before. So we can conclude that if such wicked places were quicker to repent than Bethsaida, then Bethsaida was as dark and as unbelieving, as tough territory for the gospel, if you like, as any place on planet Earth. And this is important because we minister as the church in a context, in a culture. Some people say to me very often, well, I've never seen anybody healed, and I really sympathize. And they have often said to me, well, Mark, you've been to all sorts of countries and you've seen amazing healings, but it doesn't happen in this country. Believe me, it does. Stood outside of Morrison's in Acton, London, W3. And a Muslim man, clearly from his dress, walks past me. He's got arthritis in his hands like this. And I find myself saying in a moment of courage, which is rare, I've got the gift of excuses. I've got the gift of being a coward. I've got all those spiritual gifts. In a moment of courage, I said, I could pray for you if you like. 
And he said, I don't believe. I thought, I've heard that before. And he walked away. After about 20 meters, he turned around. He came back. He said, do you know what? I'm in so much pain. I'll try anything. I said, well, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. He said, fine. I knew I had to be really quick. I just said, in the name of Jesus, arthritis go. This is what he did. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. All the pain has gone. Thank you, Jesus. And he walked away. I love to tell you that at that point he fell to his knees. He said, what must I do to be saved? That he prayed the sinner's prayer, that he joined our church, and now he's ordained in the Church of England. But I have no idea what happened to that man. But I like to believe that somewhere in a mosque in West London, there's a man down on his face on Friday prayers, and he's praying, I know it's you, Jesus. I know it's you. The gospel has always gone forward with words and works and wonders. And if you look at Romans 15, 17 to 19, you will see that Paul says he only fully declared the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum when he had said things, done things, and the wonders of God had been performed. I genuinely believe as I preach here tonight, as I prayed in the back room with some of the team, that God will do extraordinary things through this church on one or two conditions. Not conditions whereby you get God's favor, but one or two conditions where you say, Lord, come and do what only you can do. I had a prophetic word, Ben. I'm going to share it now. It was of a credit card. I thought, that's interesting, credit card. And the Lord's saying to this church as a people, go and spend the credit card. Don't go and give away and spend your time, your money, your energy, your resources based on what you think you have, but based on who I, the living God, am. And then the Lord, I felt, said, said to me, I don't charge interest, I give it. I don't charge interest, I give it. If you give away, I will give more back. And then I was reminded of Romans, uh, Mark 4 and 24. It says this, let me just read it to you. I think it's for you as a church, I offer it to you. Consider carefully what you hear, says Jesus. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. God's saying, you will never outgive me. Give away. I don't know what that means in your context. People, time, energy, money. Give away from what God calls you to do, not what you think you have. Not from your human rationale, your human understanding, your human resourcing. And what's true for the church is true for us as individuals. We will never outgive God. But let's go back to Mark chapter 8. Bethsaida was known as this place of incredible unbelief. So Jesus has this blind man brought to him. They begged Jesus to touch him. The story has gone around that if you meet this Jesus, simply a touch of the rabbi will be enough. And I want to say to you, do you know what? Healing opportunities are everywhere. 
when you go to work tomorrow or you go to wherever you go tomorrow, someone's going to say to you, I'm not too good or I'm not too good physically or emotionally or psychologically or relationally or spiritually. And I'm going to say to you, when we have the courage to offer to pray, something always happens even when we don't see it. In 41 years of praying for everything that moves, no one, not even the dog, has ever said, please don't pray for me. No one has ever said, I wish you'd never prayed for me. Many have said nothing happened. Many have said nothing happened physically, but I sense God's peace or a peace. Ask anything in my name, in my character, in my love. In the reality of who I am, says Jesus, and I will be there. But you will also face this obstacle within you of faith and doubt. You see, I think the reason that Jesus led the man out of Bethsaida was because it was a place of unbelief. I've just cited to you why I think that is from the scriptures. And faith and doubt are always fighting for loyalty in our hearts. Always. Don't think there are some superstar Christians who never doubt. I'm certainly no superstar Christian, but never think they don't doubt. I'm not going to name drop. I've met some of the biggest names in the healing ministry in the Western world. I've sat down and had breakfast with them. I have quizzed them. I have talked with them. And they will tell you that their lives are full of mystery. They will tell you whatever the, the big name stories around their ministry are. That they live in a place where they see God break through and do wonderful things. And times where they go... I simply don't get that. In Matthew 21 and 21, Jesus sees a, a fig tree and he withers it with a few words for being without fruit. He says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Faith and doubt, they're always next to each other. In Matthew 14, when Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. Do you remember that story? He walks on water. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out. He walks on water. Then he sees the wind and the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to drown. And Jesus takes him, lifts him up and says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I used to hate that verse. I mean, if I got out of the boat in the middle of the night and walked on water and my only greeting from Jesus was, oh, you have little faith, I'd be like, come on. What about the other 11 sat in the boat terrified? But now I see it in a whole different way. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That tells us something. A little bit of faith goes a long, long way. A little bit of faith means you get out of the boat and walk on water. It's not your little bit of faith that's the problem, because how do we measure it anyway? The problem is that we drown the faith out with doubt. And we live, don't we, in a culture, in a context of numerous doubts. People saying, really? We live in an anti-supernatural mindset in the Western world. So we need to do something about it. And Jesus did something about it in this story. He takes the man 
out of the place of unbelief. He takes him outside of the village. And outside of the village, he prays for him, not once but twice. First he sees a man like trees walking around. Then Jesus, having spat and made some paste in that, prays. And then the man is completely healed. And this instruction comes to him. Do not go back into the village. Do not go back into Bethsaida. Do not go back amongst the lies and deceits and falsehoods of the world. And this is the battle that you and I are facing every single day. We see it in Luke's gospel where um, Jesus is called to the house of Jairus and a 12-year-old girl has died. And when Jesus gets there, there's rent a crowd outside and they're weeping and they're mourning and they're, and they're fearful. And Jesus knows that in a culture of weeping and fear and unbelief, it's really hard to bring healing. It says that Jesus in Nazareth, his own hometown, could only heal a few because of their unbelief. They're doubt. So Jesus, in the case of Jairus' daughter, what does he say? Oh, the little girl is just asleep. A faith statement. But then he does something else. He sends the crowd away. They are scoffing at him. <laughs> he says she's just asleep. He sends them away. And then he goes into the room where the 12-year-old girl lies. And he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And Jairus and the little girl's mother, the parents and three disciples. Where there's faith and desire, healing comes. Where there is doubt and the doubts drown out faith, often we will see what our doubts tell us to see. I want to really encourage you, St. Peter's, that you would press in to the healing ministry of Jesus. Go and do whatever you need to do to feed faith within you. My last point, I'm coming to it now, and we'll go into some ministry, is you've got a choice what you're going to feed. The rabbis used to say that in every human soul lives two dogs. Those two dogs fight for being top dog in your heart. Those two dogs represent the life of God, the truth of God, the life of the spirit, and the life of the flesh. And the rabbis would teach, well, which dog is going to win? And this is what they would teach. The dog you feed will win, and the dog you starved will die. My 41 years of trying to follow after Jesus has been 41 years of battling to try and feed the dog that is the dog of the spirit, not the dog that's the dog of the flesh. Does that make sense? And we have a choice every single day of our lives. People sometimes ask me, Mark, how long do you pray for in the morning? Well, it varies, and I'm not good at it. But this is in theory what I do. I pray until my spirit says, yes. Lord. Sometimes that comes in five minutes. Sometimes that comes just before midnight. <laughs> just telling you the truth. Which voice, which dog, the life of the 
spirit or the life of the flesh? Which one are you going to feed and how are you going to do it? Well, I just want to tell you, when it comes to the healing ministry, this is what I do. I'm not saying that it's the only way. If I was praying for someone, as I will in a minute, first of all, I'm going to say, come Holy Spirit. Not in that magic way that we do, but come Holy Spirit, I am empty. And then I'm going to testify. I am going to testify to myself. Someone mentioned tinnitus before. I don't know if anyone in this room has got tinnitus. Has anyone here got tinnitus? So two people have. We're going to pray for tinnitus. It wasn't a word from me. Someone else got it, didn't they? Um, tinnitus. We're going to pray for tinnitus. But when I pray for someone with tinnitus, the first thing I'm going to do is give me, Lord, give me a testimony from my own experience of when I saw tinnitus healed. And I can remember the first case of tinnitus being healed. In St. Barnabas Finchley. And I got a word of knowledge for tinnitus. And someone said, that's me. And I walked towards them. And then they said, before I even got to them, it's gone. I'm healed. And I thought, oh, Lord, I never even got a chance to do my stuff. Because he did his stuff. He did his stuff. I testify. I remember what God's done before because testimony is the spirit of prophecy. What God has done before when we remember it, when we recount it, when we recall it, becomes a prophecy of what God's going to do next. It says in Psalm 78, that on the day of battle, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle because they had forgotten the wonders that God had done. When we feed the dog of the spirit, what we do is we we recount the truths of God. We prophesy over ourselves. We remember the promises of Scripture. We get to that place where our spirit says, Yes, Lord, Amen. Because every morning I wake up an agnostic. And every morning I have to pray to become a Christian. Because I can drift through life freewheeling and you always go slower and slower and slower when you freewheel until you fall off the bike every day I don't pray because it's a religious thing to do I pray like an alcoholic Lord I am a sinner and I cannot live one moment this day for you unless you fill me again with your Holy Spirit again not for my glory but for your glory so I, I pray, I testify, I speak in tongues. Not all of us speak in tongues, it's not the only gift of the Holy Spirit, but I speak in tongues because I want not just my mind to be a yes to God, I want my spirit aligned. For me, that's something really helpful to do. Maybe we'll pray in just a moment for people to speak in tongues. I remember most gloriously in a church in London, the whole church singing in tongues. It was glorious. It went on for about 15 minutes. Ups and downs and harmonies. All in languages that none of us knew. Or I didn't think we did. Until the music, the singing stopped. And one lady wept and wept and wept. And I went to her and I said, what's going on? 
This was in the early 1990s. She said, I've just fled from the Balkans war. I've been one week in London. My first language is Serbo-Croat. She said, the lady next to me who's English and does not speak Serbo-Croat has just been singing over me in Serbo-Croat. She said this through streaming tears. I said, what was the, what was the lady singing? And she was, said she was singing, I am your father and I love you in Serbo-Croat. Can you imagine that? A Ukrainian person comes in here and you speak to them in Russian or Ukrainian and you don't speak that language. The things of the Spirit must be fed. Testimony must be given. We must talk about what God is doing, not about what God isn't doing. And we pray remembering who Jesus is, the perfect revelation of the Father and the perfect revelation of who we can be in Christ. Every benefit of the cross of Christ, every benefit of the resurrection is ours. Every blessing ours. It doesn't mean we have an easy victory. It doesn't mean we win the lottery. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It means that our hearts get broken. But we see the breakthroughs of the kingdom of God. Jesus heals the man after leading him out of the village of unbelief. And when he heals him, he says, do not go back to that place. Do not listen to the old lies. And right now we're going to pray that the old lies are broken and that we feed the life of the Spirit in one another. So if you're able and comfortable and like to, would you please stand? We don't ask the Holy Spirit to come in the sense that he's already here. But we do welcome him. We welcome the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. So let's just stand before him. Maybe with a posture of open hands. Certainly with a posture of open heart and mind. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you do now whatever you want to do? We say, we're open. We welcome you. Breathe on us. Breathe on us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I'm a walking civil war. 
I choose again to say, yes, Lord. Breathe on us, Father God. And let's wait. Let's wait. Wind of God, breath of God, breathe on us. Wait on him. We wait. Don't judge this by your experience. When we ask, he comes. Some of you will experience something of the, of the weight or the presence of the Spirit of God, and others may not experience anything. It doesn't mean nothing's happening. We welcome. said prophetically didn't they through various people I'm with you crossing the bridge running with the ball I'm with you 
Some of you need to say again, I believe. Lord, I know I can't do this. But I believe that you in me can. I dare to believe again the promises of God. And I pray for the grace of God, the gift of God. To align your spirit now, not with the lies or the disappointments or even the heartbreaks of the past. I pray, Lord, that they would not speak loudest. But that Jesus, the great physician who lives in you, would say, hear my voice. Believe not what you have in of yourself, but what I grace you with by my life within you. And you lean into that. Expect the Holy Spirit to come and to click your spirit into a place of alignment with the truth of God. More of you, Holy Spirit. More of us, Lord. Take more of us. Feed truth within us. Spirit of truth, feed the truth of the life of the Spirit within us. Thank you for your presence, Lord. literally like Lord, the Lord is making new pathways in your thinking, new pathways in your understanding. Now we want to pray for some particular situations. We want to pray after a talk about healing that the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever would heal. I think, Ben, you've got a whole list of words that the Lord has given us for physical healing. But before Ben just comes to share those, I want to pray for anyone who says tonight, do you know what? I believe and yet I don't believe. I stand in that place of mystery, Lord, and and I don't know how to go forward. I've got stuck. I've been disappointed. I've had my heart broken. If that's you, I would love to pray with you. But there's a whole other group of people for physical healing that we're going to pray for. Let's uh, begin just to share those. And if that's you, whether that general word that I've just given speaks to you, then just start to come up the front. But we've got a whole load of others. Thanks, Mark. So just some words of knowledge that was had in the prayer meeting before. So someone here with pain in their collarbone, um, someone or a few people here with tinnitus, and it is uh, some people here with stent in their heart, um, some people here with pain in their ankle, 
Um, some people here suffering from headaches in the back of your head. Some people here suffering from deep discomfort in their stomach. And some people here have a skin condition uh, that's onset brought on by anxiety. So if any of those words, we'll pray for anything, for physical healing, but if any of those words in particular, that's God giving us words of knowledge to raise faith in the room. So please come forward and we'll pray and tell the person that it's that. And if the people with tinnitus would like to come, I'd love to pray with you. But whatever, we don't need that word of knowledge for healing, but as Ben so rightly says, it just raises our faith. Just spread along and we'll get to you. And when we finish praying for you, I want to really encourage you. Just because we move away, the Lord doesn't move away. And it's good to linger longer in his presence. So we're going to begin to come and pray. We're going to lay a hand on your shoulder. Just give us in a word what you want prayer for. And then we're going to pray and a whole number of us will come and pray with you. It's going to take a while. But this is your time to lean in to the Lord. Lean in for what you're asking him for. Feed that dog within your heart that needs to be fed and starve the dog of doubt and of unbelief. Come, Holy Spirit. So we're going to need some other people. If you come up for prayer, just stay where you are, eyes closed, hands out, posture of receiving, it's brilliant. And just in your heart and your mind, ask for the Holy Spirit to come. You don't need us to pray for you. You can do this on your own. Just say, Holy Spirit, come, fill me. And what we'll do is we'll need some more people to pray. I'm going to teach you how to do it. So if you're sat down, or even if you're standing up and you haven't come forward, uh, and you're co you feel comfortable doing it, you don't have to do it. But if you've been coming a while, you've seen this a bit now, haven't you? So I'd love you to come up and find someone. Um, and I'm going, to I'm going to talk you through healing first. So guys, come up and find someone. And just lay a hand on their shoulder. Stand in front of them, not behind them. Otherwise, it's a bit awkward. Um, is anyone, did anyone come up here for a specific physical healing who's not being prayed for? Just physical healing? Great. Could you come up here just so I can model it? Brilliant. Thank you. So those in the sitting down, just come and find someone who's not got anyone with them. And let me just talk you through healing first. What you're going to do is you're going to get them to hold their hands out, eyes closed. Just face that way so everyone can see. And you're going to ask them what it is they want physical healing for. So what is it you'd like physical healing for? Tinnitus. Tinnitus. See how lovely and short that was. You don't need a medical explanation. And then just pray your best prayer. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'd heal this tinnitus now. And then once you've prayed for a bit, ask them to test it out. So it might require moving a body part. It might ask them to see if they can hear. Whatever it is. If it's inappropriate for you to put your hand where the healing is needed, don't do it. Obviously, just put your hand on the shoulder. So just keep doing that. Do that a few times and then keep moving around, praying for other people. You might find that the person you're praying for hasn't come up for physical healing. That's fine. You just ask for the Holy Spirit to come. <laughs> 